about uh, 14 years ago, a change was made on the throughway system, on the highway systems here in the United States. I don't know if you noticed it. It was around uh, 2007 that a number of new signs started to come up. Did you notice them? Did you see the new signs? To be honest, not many did, actually. Um, you, you need to actually uh, know what happened. It's really interesting because uh, a problem had developed with the old signs. There were a number of complaints and a number of accidents that were being recorded where people were having a difficult time reading the signs. It turns out that, uh, especially when people were driving, that if they were kind of in their home neighborhood, they kind of knew that, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, where the, um, uh, this is where the uh, streets are, this is where I make my turn, this is where I go. But then there were other people as they came into town they couldn't quite read them quickly enough. They were getting lost. There was a problem reading them at night. Do you have a problem reading road signs at night, especially when you're in a, a tougher area? That can, be, that can be hard. What they discovered was that the letters were blooming. Now, if you're not a graphics artist like Abby, uh, you don't know what bloom is on a sign. But it's when light kind of explodes off the crispness and the edge of the uh, lettering itself, and it becomes blurry. It becomes difficult to see. That's what bloom is. And so they wanted to reduce that. And so people were driving at night and getting into accidents, and seniors especially were trying to drive at night, and were, it's already difficult to drive at night depending on your age. It becomes difficult to see a certain distance, and they'd come up to a sign, and the, the sign would be blurry, and it wouldn't be crisp and clear. So they decided, here's how we'll solve this. Here's, we, we have to get a commission together. Federally, they got a commission together, and they said, well, here's how we can solve this. We can make the signs 20% bigger, and that will reduce the, the waste that will reduce the bloom. It'll allow people to see them more clearly. And then they did a cost analysis of how much it would cost to replace every throughway and highway sign in the country and make them 20% bigger. It was an astronomical price tag, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And they said, nobody's going to vote for that. This will never pass Congress. This will never pass the House. So we have to do something different. And in 2007, they concluded a long study that said, what if we just change the font? They made subtle changes to the font. They commissioned someone who said, I think I can do better. And they created a new font called Clearview. And it helped with the readability of the signs. It was so good, it was so successful that the son of the guy who's credited with creating this new typeface for the road signs was printing off a school paper and didn't realize that the computer that was kind of the home computer that everyone used had set in Microsoft Word as a default the Clearview font. And so he printed it off in this brand new font that no one else had and gave it into his professor to be marked. And when he got his paper back, his professor said, great work. By the way, your paper was really easy to read. 
And it wasn't like the English was better, the communication was better. It was that the font was clearer. They did all of these things, just this minor change. It's something that's so subtle that you and I don't even notice it or talk about it. But it makes things easier to read. It made it safer simply by changing the clarity of the typeface. Sometimes just a little bit of refocusing can make such a large improvement for so many people. That's kind of what we've been doing here. That's what we've been doing in our series. But it's also something we know in our personal lives. As I look out over the congregation today, I notice that a number of you are wearing glasses. Be proud. Your vision's not perfect. <laughs> you need glasses. And it's one of the easiest things to do. But in, in my personal story, I've told this before, but in my personal story, when I would need to, uh, when I first needed to have glasses, I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, and I had been fine all the way up to that point. I've been able to see computer screens and read books, but it was starting to get more challenging. And so I finally said, all right, well, I'll go and see if I need some kind of corrective lens. And you know how they do eye tests, right, to see if you need glasses. You sit in front of the owl-shaped uh, machine, right? I think it looks like an owl. It, it's probably called the owlometer. I don't know. Anyways, you sit and you put your face right up to this, and they come and look at you. And the, and the uh, eye doctor says, now, do you prefer one or two? And they kind of drop in lenses back and forth. Have you ever had that test? A few of you have had that test. If you've had that test, uh, if you're uh, joining us online, uh, just give us a thumbs up in chat. Say, yeah, I've had that test. And they would say, one or two. And one would always be like, uh, no, that's not great on the very first try. That was my experience. I was like, one is like, no, nah, that's actually worse. And then they'd put two in. And then they'd say, okay, do you prefer two or three? One or two, two or three. And they'd just keep dropping, they'd keep testing. And then all of a sudden... One lens would just drop into place as you were staring through the owlometer, right? And you go, you, you'd be shocked at how all of a sudden everything was crystal clear for you to see. It was amazing the difference that it made. I thought when I went to get glasses, it would just be like a small little improvement. But it turns out that just a little bit of a shift in a prescription with some glass in it allowed me to see better, more clearly. I didn't have to work at reading signs, reading books, reading computer screens. It was just easier to see. And life became more enjoyable because things became more clear. We know it personally. We know it corporately. And I tell you those two stories for this reason. I think it's true for us in our lives, that principle of remembering of, of seeing things more clearly, of reminding ourselves about the why helps us. Because sometimes we get so busy that we don't notice that things could be better. With glasses, right? We just, oh, I didn't, you know, I, I could have gone for an eye appointment, I forgot. And this is okay, but we start to squint even with our glasses on. Or we start to open up our eyes wide even with our glasses on. And then someone finally notices, I, I think you're struggling even with your glasses. You're like, no, 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 it's fine. My, my prescription's probably a little bit off, but I don't want to pay for new glasses. Those are always expensive. 
And then you go and they say, yeah, you're just a few degrees off and they do the one-two test and all of a sudden it's just crystal clear. Sometimes we can get so busy that we are working all our lives without working on our lives. And sometimes we can get so distracted, we can wonder, we can worry, we can doubt whether our lives are headed in the right direction, but we don't have time to slow down and stop and evaluate. And that's what this, ser- this series has been helping us do collectively as a church. Our This Is Us series reminded us a number of weeks ago that at the core of us is Jesus. That at the core of us, experiencing Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our Sanctifier, Jesus as our Healer, and Jesus as our Coming King, are the main four ways, the distinctives, that we experience the fullness of the Christian life in Jesus Christ. We learned and reminded ourselves that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. In other words, lost people are worth our time. Your time is valuable. Lost people are valuable. Give them the gift of your time. We talked about how prayer is the primary work of the people of God because prayer causes us to move from that, look out, to look up. And we learned that everything we have belongs to God. We are His stewards. Or to say it another way, it's not mine. It's His And last week, we learned that the secret to success is learning and living God's Word. That's true of us collectively as a church. And what we've been wrestling with subjectively is to say, this is us, but also to try to get to the point where we're asking ourselves, is this me? Is this who I am? Is this true of me? Not just is this true of us as a church, not just is this a rah-rah moment for us as a church, but is this true of me as a Christ follower? Are these my priorities? And today's discussion, today's talk, today's message, I think has that, it's less subjective and it's more objective. It's actually the point of what we want to talk about today, that that moving from this is us collectively, or this is us, I agree with this intellectually, to a point where we're actually looking into our own lives, not just being, not just working through our lives, but working on our lives, working on us, is to get to that point where we're asking, is this really me? Is this really you? Is this us? I can't think of a better objective statement and a time for us to work on that than with this value, which is this. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Let's say that again. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Disciple. Let's say that together on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three.
This is us. Is this us? Is this true of us? Is this true of me? Is this true of you? Is this true at all? Let's be honest. Is this true at all? Does completing the Great Commission require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple? That seems like mismanagement to some degree, doesn't it? Because if you want to get your house clean, it would be great if the whole family chipped in and got the house clean. But if one person cleans the house, does the job get done? Yeah. Of course the job still gets done. It doesn't take the whole family to clean a house. It takes someone. Someone has to do it. But why does it have to be you? <laughs> why does it have to be me? Why can't someone else do it? Doesn't that aggravate us? It aggravates us when we're the only one cleaning the house. We want other people to join us. But in reality, I mean, if we were really honest, wouldn't it be better if someone else just did the whole thing and you could just sit back on the couch with your beverage watching the game? Wouldn't that be great? Yes, of course it would. So when we say something like this, are we really saying misery loves company? So why don't we just all do it together and we'll just kind of suffer through it and get it over with? Sometimes that's true. And I want to dig into that a little bit more this morning. It's interesting that if we're going to answer and agree with this statement that completing the Great Commission requires the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple, we have to get past the idea that, well, it's a job that we have to do and so misery loves company, so let's just get everyone involved and every, you know, many hands make light work and then we'll get it over with and then it's finished. I want to change, help change that attitude this morning. I want to try to answer the question, why should everyone mobilize? Why should we do that? Because when we talk about this question, there's usually two responses that, I, that I've heard over my Christian life and my Christian ministry over the past 25-some years. When I say this to some people, that completing the Great Commission requires the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple, in other words, completing the Great Commission needs you, Christ follower, here's one of two answers that I get. It usually has two responses. That's not my gifting. That's not my calling. That's for someone else. That's the first kind of answer. And when people say that, and they usually say it in different ways, but when they say that and we boil it down to that moment, what they're saying is, that's for the full-time ministers. That's for the evangelists. That's for the missionaries. That's for the international workers. I'm not gifted in that. I'm not trained in that. I'm not called to that. And the second thing I hear is, absolutely, amen, I'm already doing that. And we're going to talk about both of those things. Because I think it's important that we answer the question, why? Why does every fully devoted disciple need to mobilize if we're going to complete the Great Commission? 
Well, if we're going to talk about the Great Commission, we have to go to the passage that talks about the Great Commission, which is at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28. And it's here we read these words. The eleven disciples, then the eleven disciples, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This passage is one of the most famous passages in all of Christian history. And it's one of the ones that on occasion we need to go back to and see if our reading of it is clear as to what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples then. And he was trying to tell them two things, right? What was the challenge that some of the disciples were having? Some of them doubted, which is very interesting, because I think that if uh, a person who I watched die on a cross and I knew had been buried in a tomb, all of a sudden showed up in an upper room, hands in his, uh, holes in his hands, uh, a hole where the spear went through his side, holes in his feet, and you could see all those things because of the sandals uh, that he would have wore. And I mean, he's clearly back. He's clearly got this difference to him. He's the resurrected Jesus. I don't know that I would have doubted, but I understand why they did. Because their minds are reeling, right? I mean, imagine if you went to a funeral... And you had dressed up in a black suit or a black dress, and you were coming forward to pay last rites. And when you got up to the casket, the person sat up and said, oh, hey, how you doing? Sorry, I've been away for a couple of days. <laughs> like, you'd kind of go, uh, uh, help? <laughs> Can someone verify what just happened? They're doubting to some degree. They're not rushing to any conclusions. They watched him die. They want to know specifically what has happened. And this is how Jesus helps them with their doubts. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did Jesus have all authority in heaven and on earth before his death? This verse means that he didn't. And Philippians 2 actually backs that up, that he set aside what it meant to be God. It set aside that authority to come to earth to make himself a servant, to make himself fully human. And because of his obedience to God, even to death on a cross, that God raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name, right? Jesus earned this because of his death and resurrection, because he followed God's plan to the letter. And because he had followed God's plan to the letter, God says, Jesus, you're in charge. You're in charge of the plan. 
Jesus is in charge. He has all the authority on earth and everything else that we can't see surrounding the earth. Jesus is in charge. That means he gets to command us. You see, the, the term mobilize in that core value is actually a metaphor for what happens with the military. It's the military that gets mobilized. The military is the uh, group that goes out. When they get called into action, the entire camp, the entire division, the entire force is the one that's sent out. They're the ones that mobilize. And what uh, our denomination is doing by saying the word mobilize is to consider ourselves under the command of a commander-in-chief. That he is the one that gives the directions. He is the one that gives the instructions. And he comes and says, I want you to do two things. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And I want you to do it in two ways. I want you to baptize them. Why baptize? Why not go and make disciples of all nations and make sure they have a Bible? Why not go and make disciples of all nations? Oh, and make sure they're in church every Sunday or watching on the live stream. Why not go and make disciples and make sure they're in a group? Make sure they, they get connected. Make sure they give. Make sure they're doing all of the things that the, the church is doing in activities. Why does he say baptize? It's because baptism is the public expression of a life devoted to Christ. It is the culmination of evangelism. It is the process where someone who was far from God comes to faith in Jesus Christ and publicly wants to say in front of their church family and friends, saved and unsaved, I have committed my life to Christ and I am living for Him first and foremost. That's what baptism says. And that's better than a declaration of, I love Jesus. That public testimony of going into the water, going into death like Jesus did, and coming back out of the water, thankfully not in three days, right? We, we're not that literal. You get to come right back up. Because I know some people who can hold their breath for a long time, but not three days underwater. But you come back up in this representation of newness of life. It's why every time we have a baptism uh, time and service, the way that we explain it, it's, it's like uh, a marriage ring. This is a symbol of something that is true. And a couple, a husband and a wife, a, a bride and a groom come and stand before their family and friends and before God. And say they are committing to each other. Did they have to do that in order to be committed to each other? No. They can be as committed to each other. They're just going public. That this is now my, my most important human relationship I will ever have. It overrides. It supplants. It takes over first place over all our other human relationships. That's what the marriage ceremony is saying. And that's what baptism is saying when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Going public 
is the culmination of evangelism. So Jesus says, teach people to go public. Teach people. Help people who are lost, understand who Jesus is, what they've done for him. Help them come to a place where they make a decision. And when they make a decision, help them come to a place where they go public with that. The second thing he says is to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What did Jesus command them to do? Not in the Great Commission, but what has Jesus been commanding them to do? What has Jesus taught them? Love one another. Yeah, that's right. What else? If you've got some answers, uh, type them in chat. What has Jesus been teaching his disciples to do all the way up to the end of the Gospel of Matthew? We've had 27 other chapters of what Jesus has been teaching them. What's he been teaching them? Love one another? What else? Love God. Absolutely. And here's the thing. How do you do that? What's your strategy to love God? What's your strategy to love your neighbor? What Jesus is telling his disciples to do is to take the principles that Jesus has taught and put them into action. And this is where it gets really, really interesting because Jesus is commanding them to be like they're learning a trade. When you learn a trade, you don't necessarily go to school. You become an apprentice. If you want to be a mechanic, one of the things that you'll do is you'll learn some of the basics of uh, automobiles. You'll learn the basics of vehicles. But then you'll go work in a mechanic's shop. And someone who has the experience will help you, will train you, will show you, because there's a lot of different vehicles out there. And there's a lot of different ways of what it looks like to love God and to love people sacrificially. And it changes over time, it changes over cultures, it changes with each and every generation in a culture. How do you do that? In other words, what Jesus is saying is you need other people more than you know when it comes to your own faith. And other people need you more than you know when it comes to their faith. We need each other to grow. Some of the greatest conversations happen in a group context where Christians get together and don't just talk about sports. It's fun, fun to talk about sports. Don't just talk about their jobs, although it's fun to talk about their jobs. It's fun to talk about how do you bring Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, into your job. And everyone gets a chance to share and then simply ask the question, what if we could do this in a better way? How could we improve on this? How can we sharpen our clarity so that we do this better? I love that. And Jesus says to baptize them, help people go through the entire full process of evangelism and disciple them. Not just with your words, but with your application. Learning from each other, ironing, sharp and ironing. It's, it's knowing and showing is what it is. And we do that locally and we do that globally. 
Not just here, not just to the people we like, not just to the people we know, but we do it all around the world. Because Jesus is in charge. Jesus has said that's his mission. He said that's what his people, his division, fully devoted followers will do with their time, with their resources, with their skill sets. He's the boss. He determines what we do. And to be honest, that in our culture, that's sometimes kind of intimidating, right? But in any culture, the boss gets to determine what the company does. It's never the employees. It's the boss. And he's the boss of all time and all eternity. And it's a comforting thing because of this. He goes on and says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus is not in an ivory tower separated from his uh, troops. He's not on some super yacht sipping drinks while his peons just go and make more and more widgets. He's with us in the trenches of life. And as we are making disciples, we are not alone. He's rolled up his sleeves and is working with us for all time for all eternity. Everyone loves a boss who doesn't just give away the dirty jobs to the people beneath him. They love a boss who rolls up their sleeves in the storefront and says, listen, it's my turn to clean the bathrooms. I got it. You guys go on ahead and I'll close up tonight. They love a boss that isn't separate from the menial work that the basic employee does. Yeah, there's other stuff that the boss also has to do that the basic employee can't, but they love it when a person comes into the warehouse and says, hey, let me help you with that. How's the job going? Let me roll up your sleeves. Let's get this task done. Instead of just yelling at you from the corner office down below and saying, hey, you need to get this done. They love a boss like that. And Jesus promises to be with us. He gives us I don't know why he gives this. Well, I think I do. But it's amazing to me that he actually says, I'd like you to make the disciples. He's trusting us with other human lives. He's trusting us with people's eternities. That kind of strikes me as a big deal. That strikes me as a huge opportunity and a a huge thing. That's, That's being given the keys to the car. Saying, I want you to drive it. I want you to run it. So he gives us an important task, the most important task, and then he promises to be with us. And I think he does that because he knows that when we follow this, when we become mobilized, the Great Commission is also going to shape us as well. That that discipling that's going to happen is going to transform us, that when people's lives are changed for all eternity as they become Christians and are baptized, that's going to change us. I mean, one of the practices that we have here that I don't know of many other churches that do this, I also haven't asked, so don't quote me on this, but one of the things we do when when we have a baptism is that we ask the person who wants to be baptized, listen, you don't need to be baptized by the pastor guy. You can be baptized by someone who has developed you in your Christian faith. Maybe it's someone who led you to Jesus or someone who has discipled you. What an honor 
to be able to bring that person across that finish line of evangelism. And we've had that here where husbands have baptized their wives, uh, parents have baptized their children. It's been amazing to see those kinds of moments. He knows that it'll shape us and challenge us. So as I said off the top, I think this, is, this value is the one that says, yeah, this is us, this is who we are. We're about the Great Commission. We're a Great Commission denomination. We're a Great Commission church. Are we a Great Commission person? Are you a Great Commission person? And I a Great Commission? In other words, it's this. The Great Commission is our personal mission. The Great Commission is our personal mission, my personal mission, your personal mission. It must be because this is what the boss has asked and this is the best place to experience him. Jesus is in charge and Jesus is never closer than when the Great Commission is our mission. I think this is both corporate, I think this is personal. What is our uh, purpose statement again? What do we say every morning when we're kind of starting off our announcement time? We're a church that exists to... Connect people to Jesus. That's the evangelism piece. That's the baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's another part that we say. We want to connect people to Jesus Christ and help them grow in a caring community, right? Yeah. That's the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And in the middle of teaching them, they teach us. And we learn what it means to find and follow Jesus Christ. That's who we are as a church. In other words, our purpose statement is just, it's stolen. <laughs> we, we've, we've taken somebody else's homework and, copy, and uh, copied it, and basically it's a rewording of the Great Commission. That's who we are corporately, right? Defines who we are. It's like... Um, that purpose straight statement is like a colander for spaghetti. And all of the things that we do, we want to make sure that what we're left with in the bowl are fully devoted disciples. And so we put all of our ministries into the colander and we let all of the stuff that doesn't actually help us do that and it just drains out. And what we're left with are the ministries that do help us. We have five keystone ministries at our church. Sunday worship, it's kids, it's youth, it's groups, and it's missions. Everything we do focuses on those five areas. And then we have three support ministries on top of that. We have a care ministry that includes our prayer team, benevolent team. We have a finance team and we have a buildings and grounds team that supports all of those people facing ministries. So, 
five keystone ministries, three support ministries, eight different things. Everything else gets strained away. But here's the thing. That's not just a corporate purpose. It's personal. The Great Commission must become our mission. We have to answer this corporately. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, when was the last time you answered that question personally? Is the Great Commission my personal mission? Is it my mission? It's a great question. Can I suggest four ways that you can begin to process this as a church? or as, a, as an individual. The first is I'd recommend that you group up. It is hard to go and accomplish the Great Commission by yourself, so don't. Jesus will be with you, but go with some friends. Get into a group and talk about those that you want to be witnessing to, have them pray for you. Uh, we've got some great groups here at the church that you can be involved in. We've got a men's group that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, 8 a.m., uh, hopefully that's not too early, but bring a coffee if it is. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to build our devotional lives with Christ. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to support each other. That starts at 8 a.m., and I think it's an hour tops, right? Yeah, an hour tops. So that'll be here at the church if you're able to come. Every Thursday night, there's a ladies group that uh, started off in someone's home and got so big so fast it had to move back to the church because uh, there was not enough room. Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Come and pray, come and fellowship, come and be discipled, but come ready to offer, come ready to contribute, come ready to say, I am wanting to be that fully devoted disciple. I'm making the Great Commission my mission. I want to do that. I want you to support me as I do that and reach out to those around me. We've got a great Italian-speaking Bible study worship group that meets Wednesdays at 1.32-ish whenever people show up. <laughs> but that's a great opportunity. That prayer room here is always packed. So if English is not your first language and Italian is, come, sing, worship. It's a good time. It's a good time. And if you're not too sure about you know, still getting together in person. It may be one of the reasons why you're joining us online. And if you're uh, wanting to and you're wanting to connect with a group, then there's a group that meets regularly on Mondays over Zoom. Starts at 7 o'clock. All of those groups are listed on our groups page on our website. Group up. Don't go it alone if you're going to be a fully devoted disciple. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is give. Giving is actually one of the ways that we take the Great Commission global through the Great Commission Fund. But it's also a way for you to partner with this church and to get involved in something that's bigger than what you could do on your own. We truly are better together. It's one of the reasons why we are a church. And you can give to that to support that. Not just to keep the lights on and replace the roof for us, but so that more people at all of Gates 
but have an opportunity to connect to Jesus Christ and grow in a caring community. All ages, all races, all people within our sphere of influence, we want them to have an opportunity to respond, to find and follow Jesus, and to do it in a group that cares for them. You can serve. You can serve on Saturday. We've already talked about a number of those opportunities, and we'd love to have you do that. We've talked about our trunk or treat being an all-hands-on-deck opportunity. This is a great opportunity to say, I'm mobilizing for the Great Commission. Where do you need me this Saturday? I'm in. But there's a lot of other ministries you can serve in. You can go to our website and you can visit our Serve Others page. There's a number of different places you can serve. You can serve on a Sunday. You're already here. We could have you serve uh, on our AV team. Uh, Some of our AV team has served for weeks and weeks on end without fail. And I'm very thankful for that. But everybody needs a break sometime. And we make AV easy. The AV equipment doesn't always make things easy, but we make AV things easy as much as possible. And we can train you. We also need more folks involved in hospitality. We need more folks helping with TAC kids, with youth group, willing to lead groups, willing to serve on that buildings and grounds team. willing to pray one of the greatest ministries that we've organized in the past little while was an intentional prayer team that has a high high entrance level can't just say I want to join you've got to commit you've got to be willing to be a prayer warrior on behalf of other people And we have nine folks in the church that are praying for things that we don't tell everyone. I've benefited from that prayer team. They're praying for needs that we don't communicate publicly. And we have seen some amazing things come out of those ministries. And all those things are really good. But there's one more thing you can do. You can get into a group, you can give, you can serve, but there's one more thing you can do. And this is the power of a local church. You can invite others. You may not know how to share your faith. We'd love to help train you in that. You may not know how specifically to have a spiritual discussion. However, I'm pretty confident that you know how to say, hey, would you like to come with me to church on Sunday? It's that easy. Statistics have shown us that at special holidays, people respond to an invite over everything else. And, and, no matter what season of life we're in, including a pandemic, People are interested in responding to a personal invite. 
And let me just go completely off script for a moment and get myself totally in trouble. If you can't invite someone to this church because you're not sure if they would like it, then help us change what you don't like. Or please find a place that you do. You have my permission. God's kingdom is big. It's not just our church. We can't fit all of gates in our building. <laughs> but if there's a church that a family member will go to and it's not here, then go with them to that church. If they're not going anywhere because they won't go here with you, then go somewhere else with them. That's a great commission church. It's not about us building Trinity. It's about Jesus building his church. And part of the mobilization is that sometimes the troops get sent to countries they're not so sure they'd want to spend the rest of their lives in. And do you know how much that matters? Zero. Because the one in charge has said, this is where you're going. I give you permission. I'd love to have them come here. I'd love to, if there's something that, you know, we'd love to see this, maybe we can make that work. Give that kind of feedback. But don't be apathetic on this issue. Help us do better or go to a church that's doing it better for the sake of those that you love for the lost. All of those are the things that we're doing. But let me just summarize with this point. Jesus gives us a number of principles and he says, baptize. And he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And there's, go and make disciples. What is your strategy to make disciples? What are you going to intentionally do? The decision is yours. We've given you four different ways that you can use and put into your own life that we think will have the maximum impact as we do those things together. But it is up to you to decide your strategy. It is up to you to look at your finances. It is up to you to look at your calendar. It is up to you to look at the life that you're living and say, am I going to be mobilized or not? You have to make a decision with your strategy. And then live by it. And we'd love to help you develop that strategy if we can do that. But you have to decide your strategy. You might have never made the Great Commission your mission. And you may already have and maybe just need to look at it again and tweak it and see if you're actually making disciples. But today... 
let's commit or recommit to not just being a Great Commission denomination and not just being a Great Commission church, but being Great Commission people. Jesus is the boss. He is in charge. He has commanded us. And He will be close as we carry out that command. Let's make the Great Commission our personal mission. Let's pray. Jesus, this is one of those... Uh, moments where the uh, we need your spirit to know how the rubber can meet the road of our lives lord there are lots of ways that we can uh, serve you there are lots of ways uh, that we can give there are lots of ways that we can invite a lot of places that we can invite there's a lot of groups that we can connect to and belong to but it all comes down to what is helping us to make disciples. Lord, we would not be here if we did not know someone in our lives who seriously was mobilized for the Great Commission and invested in us, invited us, taught us, baptized us, evangelized us, discipled us. And Lord, we want to be that blessing and benefit to as many people as possible, not just as a church, but as individuals. So Lord, help us to do what we need to do in our finances, in our weekly schedules, to develop a strategy to go and make disciples of all nations. May you help us to make your great commission our personal mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.